Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 75, recorded here on July 30th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. All right, we've got a lot to cover this week. So we will jump right in with the market update. Stocks rose Friday as data showed U.S. consumer sentiment rose and inflation eased, adding to growing optimism that the economy will avoid a recession and encourage the Federal Reserve to end its cycle of interest rate increases. According to data from the U.S. Department of Commerce on Friday, the June Core Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, the Federal Reserve's favored inflation gauge, moderated on a month-to-month and year-to-year basis. Meanwhile, consumer spending in June rose at a faster clip than income. Oh, that's not good. On top of stronger-than-expected GDP reported this week and a better-than-expected earnings season, some analysts expect the market will continue to climb to new highs. For the week, the tech-heavy Nasdaq advanced 2%, the S&P added 1%, and the Dow Jones average rose 0.6% gaining on Friday after its 13-day winning streak, the longest since 1987, was snapped on Thursday. Of the 11 S&P sectors, nine ended trading in green. Communication services topped the leaderboard with the heavyweight sector ending the week with a whopping 6.8% gain. Looking ahead, investors will see earnings report flood in for the second consecutive week with almost a third of the S&P 500 companies due to disclose numbers over the next five trading days. The earnings calendar includes big reports from Apple, Merck, Pfizer, Caterpillar, and Amazon. The C-suite at Amazon could be especially busy during the week as media reports indicate the Federal Trade Commission could file its highly anticipated antitrust lawsuit as early as next week. A wide-ranging lawsuit could challenge Amazon on a number of fronts, including the practices of the Amazon Prime business. Datadog and Fisker have corporate events scheduled that could create a share price jolt, while major economic reports in the week ahead include construction spending, U.S. manufacturing PMI, and factory orders, all before the July jobs report lands on the laps of traders on August 4th. Non-farm payroll employment is forecast to increase by 200,000 in a slight dip from the 209 uh, jobs added in June, 209,000 jobs. The employment data is expected to highlight a moderation from the recent trend, but continue to show a tight labor market, the jobs report will fuel more debate on if the Federal Reserve is too loose or too tight. All right, jumping into Bitcoin news, we'll start out with the top stories of the week from Cointelegraph. This was uh, posted on July 29th. And again, you'll uh, put links in the show notes to everything that I go over you want to read it for yourself. Uh, top stories. First one here, crypto bills passed congressional committee in, quote, huge win for U.S. crypto. A key United States House panel has approved a pair of bills that could finally deliver some regulatory clarity to crypto firms in the country 
On July 26, lawmakers voted in favor of the Financial Innovation and Technology for the 21st Century Act, which establishes rules for crypto firms on when to register with either the Commodity Futures Trading Commission or the Securities and Exchange Commission. The panel also approved the Blockchain Regulatory Certainty Act, which sets out guidelines that remove hurdles and requirements for, quote, blockchain developers and service providers, such as miners, multi-signature service providers, and decentralized finance platforms. Despite the passage of these acts, a number of Republicans and Democrats refused to support another proposed piece of legislation dubbed the Digital Assets Market Structure Bill. Uh, next is WorldCoin token launch sparks response from Vitalik Buterin. Vitalik Buterin, the co-founder of the Ethereum network, released a long-form essay with his thoughts on the recently launched WorldCoin human identity verification system, addressing the larger concept in discussion with the release of the WorldCoin token, Proof of Humanity. WorldCoin initiated its public launch on July 25th after nearly two years of development and beta testing, but criticism of it erupted almost immediately. The United Kingdom's Information Commissioner's Office is deciding whether to investigate the project for violating the country's data protection laws. The French National Commission on Informatics and Liberty also questioned WorldCoin's legality, and we'll go into that a little bit more later. In response to criticism of its data collection practices, the project released an audit report on July 28th. Putin signs law on introduction of digital ruble in Russia. Russia is moving forward with its central bank digital currency as Vladimir, uh, President Vladimir Putin signed the digital ruble bill into law on July 24th. With this approval, the digital ruble law is officially scheduled to take effect from August 1st, 2023. Individuals in the country will have the choice to choose whether or not to use the digital ruble, according to Bank of Russia Deputy Governor Olga Skorobogatova, the, the government doesn't expect mass adoption of the digital ruble in Russia before 2025. Uh, yeah, if you give people a choice, they usually don't choose CBDCs. Binance withdraws crypto license application in Germany. Binance has withdrawn its cryptocurrency custody license application in Germany nearly a month after reports of concerns from the German Federal Financial Supervisory Authority. A spokesperson from Binance told Cointelegraph that it intends to reapply for a license in Germany with changes to its application reflecting adjustments in the regulatory environment. Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao said it would focus on becoming compliant with the European Union's markets and crypto assets regulations to offer its services in European countries. However, its European expansion plans have seen a setback amid its regulatory troubles in the United States. FTX's Bankman Freed seeks gag order for all witnesses in criminal case. Former FTX CEO Sam SBF Bankman Freed has agreed to a gag order preventing him from making comments to third parties that may interfere with his trial, but argues other potential witnesses should be gagged as well, including current FTX CEO John Ray. The gag order against Sam Bankman-Fried was initially requested on July 20th when the U.S. government accused the FTX founder of attempting to interfere with a fair trial by publicly discrediting former business partner and witness Caroline Ellison in an interview with the New York Times. 
According to SBF's lawyers, there has been a toxic media environment surrounding their client since the collapse of the exchange. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Prediction of the week. Bitcoin price shrugs off uh, strong PCE data as Bitcoin traders eye $28,000 range. Bitcoin stayed range bound at the end of the week, despite United States inflation data beating expectations. Data from Cointelegraph, Markets Pro, and TradingView showed Bitcoin price action getting only a modest boost from the personal consumption expenditures at price index print. Among traders, there was still an appetite for Bitcoin price downside with the $30,000 resistance now in place for over a week. Popular pseudonymous trader Crypto Tony confirmed that he remained short on Bitcoin below 29,600. I expect continuation down to 28,000 in time, but for sure we could range here for a little while before the drop, he told Twitter, now known as X followers on the day. Uh, SEC files charges against Quantstamp for $28 million initial coin offering. Blockchain security firm Quantstamp is set to return $28 million raised in a 2017 initial coin offering following charges brought by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission for allegedly conducting an unregistered ICO of crypto asset securities. The SEC's order outlines that Quantstamp's I ICO, which took place October and November 2017, raised over $28 million by selling its native QSP tokens to some 5,000 investors. According to the SEC, the company failed to register its tokens offerings, which the agency deemed to be securities. AlphaPo payment provider hack now estimated at over $60 million. The AlphaPo payments provider hack now estimated to have caused Losses exceeding $60 million, according to a report from pseudonymous on-chain sleuth Zach XBT. The loss was previously reported at roughly $31 million. The new report identifies an additional $37 million allegedly drained from the old addresses on the Tron and Bitcoin networks. Citing data from Dune Analytics, the Zach XBT argued that the Lazarus Group may be behind the attack. Neither company confirmed that the issues were caused by a hack, but security researchers have argued that the large outflows from known hot wallets combined with stalled withdrawals imply that the funds may have been moved by an attacker. Uh, that's why we hold our Bitcoin on cold storage wallets so that we don't have to worry about getting hacked uh, on a hot wallet. Pond OX token launch snafu leads to millions of dollars in losses. Just another reason not to mess with the shitcoins. The launch of meme coin Pond OX has led to millions of dollars in losses for investors, according to multiple reports on social media on July 28th. Data from the MaestroBots trading app shows that the token reached a price of 36 cents before collapsing to near zero in a span of five minutes. According to initial reports, PNDX had a faulty transfer function that allows users to transfer coins from any other user. Investors lost at least $2.2 million in the launch. The meme coin was announced on July 28th by pseudonymous uh, Not Larva Labs founder Pauly, a developer of an NFT trading app for CryptoPunks and a separate parody collection called CryptoFunks. <sighs> People will just never learn. 
Uh, and then a couple other things, Journeys, Hervé, Laren on Bitcoin, Apes, and the Psychology of Blue Chip NFTs. My first crypto transaction in 2013 was to wire Bitcoin from the U.S. to Venezuela. Due to the economic collapse, there was no functioning banking system between these two countries. Six questions for Simon Davis of Mighty Bear Games. Mighty Bear Games CEO Simon Davis, a.k.a. Papa Bear, gave us a look inside his Web3 gaming studio and his thoughts on the future of gaming. Elegant and ass-backward, Jameson Lopp's first impression of Bitcoin. Jameson Lopp said none of the developers deep into Bitcoin think the protocol should be allowed to ossify. There's so much work to be done. And that is a very controversial topic ossification but uh can't get into that here maybe in a future episode or blog post all right moving on uh, next is from coin telegraph this was posted on july 28th world coin is making reality look a lot like black mirror Scanning your iris to become a, quote, verified human in exchange for digital currency sounds like a Black Mirror episode, but this is not the story arc of a dystopian science fiction show. It's happening now with one of the latest projects in Web3. The launch of WorldCoin on optimism has left many wondering whether this project is subverting Web3's promise of decentralization to build just the opposite. And yet, more than 2 million people in underserved areas have already signed up to share their biometric data with WorldCoin in exchange for 25 WLD, worth less than $100 at the time of writing. This is not just strange. It also presents serious privacy risks and creates a honeypot for bad actors. More so, there's an argument to be made that it could even interfere with the sovereignty of foreign countries. Why would we need WorldCoin in the first place? WorldCoin was founded to solve for the expected externalities of its sister company, OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT and other popular AI products. One hand is solving the problems, the other hand is creating. In the words of its founders, if successful, we believe WorldCoin could drastically increase economic opportunity, scale a reliable solution for distinguishing humans from AI online while preserving privacy, enable global democratic processes and eventually show a potential path to AI-funded UBI or universal basic income. Now, if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. The problem with WorldCoin, so despite the ambition and promise to safeguard privacy, a whole new set of problems arises from the fact that this is being done by a single, currently centralized company. The irony is not lost on ChatGPT. Some of its answers when prompted, what are the risks of having one company own biometric data for individuals in underdeveloped countries include privacy violations, security breaches, surveillance, and sovereignty. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin has echoed some of these concerns as well. Having one company own biometric data for individuals in underdeveloped countries poses significant risks for individuals. On a broader societal scale, these are even more significant when coupled with UBI payments to foreign citizens. Biometric data like irises is highly sensitive and unique to each individual. It can reveal information such as sex, ethnicity, and perhaps medical conditions. If a single company controls this data, there's a high risk of privacy violations as it can be used to track and monitor individuals without their consent. Who's to say that the company would not exploit the biometric data for commercial gains, such as targeted advertising or selling the data to other entities? Isn't that diametrically opposed to what we, would have, what we have been trying to achieve for the last few years? 
Centralizing biometric data also puts it at a higher risk of being targeted by hackers and cyber criminals. This is what's known in security sectors as a honeypot when used for controlled purposes. A large amount of attractive data is stored by a single entity in order to study a potential breach under the understanding that it will eventually be hacked. A data breach at this scale could lead to severe consequences, including identity theft, fraud, and unauthorized access to the personal information of millions of people. This data could also fall into the hands of governments to subpoena the data and obtain citizens' personal information without a warrant. There are fewer protections when you sell your data to a third party. A corrupt government may use this data to manipulate behaviors, limit dissent, and suppress opposition, essentially turning underdeveloped regions into surveillance states. More so, if the company operates across borders, it could wield undue power and influence over governments and societies. Financially supporting a large number of foreign citizens under a universal basic income model could ultimately reduce the autonomy and sovereignty of a country's democratic processes. When visiting WorldCoin's orbs to scan their irises, registrants are given a promotional sticker that reads, quote, verified human. There's a slight feeling of discomfort in being referred to simply as human here, not person. In the context of selling your identity for a few bucks to a cryptocurrency project with ties to AI development, it almost sounds like a Freudian slip. It's, it's as if personhood is a forgotten idea, and now we're just humans in a massive database of biometric data. Sometimes reality really is stranger than fiction. So yeah, uh, this has really been kind of... Uh, the talk on t Twitter and on Bitcoin Twitter, uh, especially this week. Um, and uh, it's extremely dystopian. Even George Gammon has been talking about it. Um, and uh, it's crazy that you would, uh, you know, give up your privacy for, you know, uh, some shitcoin. So, um, We'll continue to watch, but there seems to be long lines of people willing to sell their personal information to get in on this uh, this coin offering, which I think also is has a lot of the same VCs that have been involved in other shit coins um, on their uh, you know as part of this this startup, and um, you know they just want to make money, and it's probably going to end up being a rug pull, and then you're going to lose your. Uh, your personal um, information in the process. So I would be steering clear of WorldCoin. Uh, still on WorldCoin, this is from Crypto News, July 28th. Uh, this was posted. French privacy watchdog raises concerns over WorldCoin's data collection, collaborating with Germany for investigation. European regulators, including the French National Commission on Informatics and Liberty, and the Bavarian State Authority in Germany are raising legal concerns about WorldCoin's data collection methods. In an email on Friday, July 28th, CNIL said, the legality of this collection seems questionable as do the conditions for storing biometric data. WorldCoin, co-founded by OpenAI's Sam Altman, launched on June 24th with an ambitious plan to scan the irises of millions of people in 20 countries, granting them a, quote, digital passport called WorldID, and rewarding them with 25WLD, the project's native token. The aim is to provide individuals with a means to verify their humanity and distinguish themselves from robots as artificial intelligence becomes more influential. However, 
Concerns surrounding data privacy, security, and data collection have emerged, leading to investigations by CNIL, the French privacy watchdog. CNIL is also collaborating with the Bavarian State Authority in Germany to address these issues associated with WorldCoin. And then it shows a uh, Twitter post, or X, I guess they call it now, a uh, post uh, from WorldCoin that has a picture of people lined up waiting to stare into the orb. Stare into the orb, just that just sounds so dystopian. Since WorldCoin launched, proof of personhood demand has surged. An average, on average, a unique human is now verifying their world ID every 7.6 seconds, and new records are being set daily. Thank you for your patience with the project as more work is done to better meet worldwide demand. <laughs> WorldCoin's website indicates they've amassed 2.1 million signups during the two-year trial period. Since the official launch, the company proudly boasts on Twitter that the unique human verifies their world ID every 7.6 seconds, leading to daily records. They've shared photos of their orbs in cities like Seoul, Mexico City, and Paris since the launch on July 24th. Although a video shared by co-founder Sam Altman showed people in Japan lining up to provide their iris scans in exchange for free WorldCoin tokens, the company finds it hard attracting new signups. Only about 200 people signed up on the first day at each of the three designated locations in Hong Kong, totaling 600. While Altman claims strong consumer interest in crazy lines around the world, the numbers suggest a slow path to achieving mass adoption. However, WorldCoin has announced plans to significantly increase the number of orbs in significant cities as the year progresses, aiming to have five times more sign-up capacity. WorldCoin's project has sparked mixed reactions within the crypto community. While some users have expressed concerns about its centralization, others view the proof of personhood as a necessary measure to address the growing presence of AI. The British Information Commissioner's Office has confirmed that it's investigating the project as organizations must conduct a data protection and impact assessment for collecting high-risk information. Even prominent figures in the crypto space, like Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin, have raised alarms. Buterin warned that WorldCoin has major issues, particularly regarding the potential accidental exposure of sensitive personal information such as sex, ethnicity, and possibly medical conditions through iris scans. In response to privacy concerns, WorldCoin stated its compliance with data protection laws, including the GDPR and the UK Data Protection Act. Basically, trust us. Trust us with your data. The company committed to cooperating with government bodies regarding privacy and data protection inquiries. WorldCoin further mentioned conducting a comprehensive data protection impact assessment in the UK with the assistance of a top-tier law firm. Additionally, the company assured that it would promptly address individual requests for deleting personal data. Um, yeah, I would just say no thanks. No thanks to WorldCoin. Very dystopian. Okay, uh, moving on. Next article. Now we're going to get a little bit more into Bitcoin, uh, but I do like to cover some of these other topics because I do think it's um, relevant, uh, especially from a freedom and liberty uh, perspective. Uh, so this next article is from CoinDesk. This is um, this was posted on July 27th, and this is an update on uh, RFK Jr. Uh, Bitcoin currency of freedom. Canadian government morphed into monster during trucker protests. Democratic presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said Canada's government suddenly morphed into a monster during the trucker protests in that country's capital of Ottawa last year. 
which, by the way, we can all never forget that. The 69-year-old longtime environmental lawyer and Kennedy family scion made the comments during a 90-minute Twitter Spaces event on Wednesday. During the conversation, he also hailed Bitcoin as a currency of freedom and revealed that he recently bought two Bitcoins each for each of his seven children. Kennedy, who provided financial support to the protesting uh, Canadian truckers in early 2022, said his Bitcoin moment came during the final days of the protest when uh, the Emergencies Act was invoked for the first time in Canada's history. The act gave Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government additional powers to help quash the demonstrations, including the authority to freeze the bank accounts of protest leaders and supporters. They did something to me that was, to me, unimaginable, Kennedy explained. They used facial recognition, license plate identification, and a number of other technologies to determine the identities of the truckers, and then they froze their bank accounts and their credit cards. It was during that period that soon-to-be presidential candidate experienced what he referred to as his, quote, Damascus moment. This government of Canada, which I think most people like me had considered a role model for Western liberal democracy, Kennedy said, suddenly morphed into this monster. It occurred to me at that point that freedom of transaction was at least as important as freedom of expression, Kennedy uh, said in response to a question from the event's organizer, Scott Melker, a Bitcoin investor and podcaster. Kennedy appears to be the de facto political darling of the Bitcoin community and even delivered a keynote speech at the Bitcoin 2023 conference in Miami this past May. His comments yesterday, together with the confirmation of his recent Bitcoin purchase, may also endear him to his fellow Bitcoiner, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and one of Trudeau's harshest critics, Pierre Palev. Palev, a vocal proponent of Bitcoin who once posted a video of himself buying a shawarma with the digital currency, had a reaction similar to Kennedy's and accused Trudeau of attacking his own population at a news conference that followed the release of a report on the Trudeau government's use of Canada's Emergencies Act. Political chatter about Bitcoin among U.S. presidential candidates has ramped up in recent months, with GOP candidates like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy both publicly praising the digital currency. Kennedy has gone as far as to propose ideas such as Bitcoin treasury bills, i.e. government debt, which would be backed by Bitcoin and other commodities. My proposal is to make a small number of T-bills backed by a basket of hard assets, including gold, silver, platinum, and Bitcoin, Kennedy explained yesterday. We are looking at how that kind of commodity-based asset might put a little bit of discipline into the Fed and the practice of just printing money arbitrarily with no control and no backstop at all. The presidential hopeful also proposed scrapping the capital gains tax on Bitcoin sales, but with a million-dollar cap to prevent large investment managers from exploiting the exemption. I've talked about some kind of suspension of the capital gains taxes for conversion of Bitcoin, Kennedy said. One of the dangers we want to avoid is creating huge windfalls for BlackRock and for Goldman. But there may be evidence that we may be able to do that with a million-dollar cap so small investors who are into Bitcoin would not have to pay the capital gains taxes, but super-large holding companies like BlackRock and Goldman would. Kennedy didn't hide his apparent disdain for the large investment managers interested in Bitcoin, many of whom have submitted Bitcoin ETF applications to the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. They're funneling people into these ETFs, he said. As soon as they create a central bank digital currency, BlackRock will transform these those ETFs from Bitcoin into CBDCs and trap us all in that kind of slavery. 
A recent controversial video posted by the New York Post shows Kennedy saying COVID-19 attacks certain races disproportionately. He has also been a vehement critic of vaccines and has demanded better vaccine safety. He's also called a bigot and an anti-vaxxer, but during the Twitter spaces claimed that all those labels are simply underhanded attempts to censor him. I'm getting slandered, silenced, and censored, he said. When people hear me talk, they realize I'm not a crazy person. I'm not an anti-Semite, not an anti-vaxxer. Kennedy is currently polling somewhere in the mid-teens among Democratic voters, according to polling website 538. Incumbent Joe Biden, despite concerns about his age, is still the first choice for most Democrats, the site shows. Among Bitcoiners, however, uh, RFK Jr. is a top pick. Bitcoiners are a different breed, Kennedy said. They are ideologically based. They are people who love freedom. Well, can't can't disagree with him there. Um, I still don't really uh, trust politicians. Um, they say what they want you to hear, and then they get elected, and then they do whatever they want. So, um, but. It's good that he shines a positive light on Bitcoin. Um, that is uh, helpful, I think, to adoption and to the community. So for that, I'm grateful. Uh, next article, this is from Decrypt. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says he bought 14 Bitcoin for his kids. Uh, as the race for the White House heats up, Democratic candidate for U.S. President Robert Kennedy Jr. has come out as a proponent of Bitcoin, says he's proven that commitment by buying 14 Bitcoin last May. In a Wednesday Twitter Spaces interview with crypto investor and podcaster Scott Melker, Kennedy said Bitcoin, called Bitcoin the currency of freedom, said he decided to become a crypto investor after he was chided by media outlets for promoting Bitcoin, but he didn't own any. I bought two Bitcoin for each of my seven children, Kennedy said, noting that he made the move right after his appearance at the Bitcoin conference in May. Now... I'm a Bitcoin owner, and I'm sure they'll now find a different way to come at me, but no one can say I didn't put my money where my mouth is. Kennedy and Melker also discussed how banks can shut down customer bank accounts without warning and suggested political pressure may be behind the closure of the bank account of Joseph Mercola, described by the New York Times as the most influential spreader of coronavirus misinformation online. Here we have a powerful banking interest that has received all kinds of federal government support and it's utterly dependent on its relationship with the Fed and the federal government and it is shutting down one of its customers for political speech, Kennedy said. I think that incident alone should be one that all of us should be terrified about and it makes the move toward Bitcoin all the more important. During the annual conference held in Miami, Florida, Kennedy said COVID-19 restriction led him to Bitcoin, and he claimed to be the first presidential candidate to accept Bitcoin donations through the Lightning Network. But he also said he didn't own any and wasn't there to give investment advice. Currently, the price of Bitcoin is $29,330 per coin, according to CoinMarketCap. At the time of his speech in Bitcoin 2023, the price of Bitcoin stood around 27128 If Kennedy's claims are true, the Kennedy Bitcoin Treasury would be worth around $400,000 today. Earlier this month, a financial disclosure document obtained by CNBC showed Kennedy's family held at the time between $100,000 and $250,000 worth of Bitcoin. This conference address established his strong alignment with so-called digital gold. When I witnessed this cataclysm, this devastating use of government repression, I realized for the first time how free money is as important to freedom as free expression, Kennedy said. Kennedy added, 
that the many environmental claims about Bitcoin are unfounded. I believe that the environmental arguments against Bitcoin are a smokescreen to obscure the real motives for suppressing Bitcoin, he said, citing the massive cost of endless wars and environmentally destructive projects. While Kennedy is not expected to win the Democratic Party's nomination, online wagering sites put his odds at around 11%. He's drawn the support of fervent crypto fans. I'm very happy for the support I've gotten from the Bitcoin community, Kennedy said. Okay, next up, this is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted today. Uh, some more news out of Congress in the U.S. U.S. House Committee passes, quote, Keep Your Coins Act to protect right to self-custody crypto. The U.S. House Committee on Financial Services passed the Keep Your Coins Act of 2023 on Thursday. The bill, sponsored by Representative Warren Davidson, would ensure that consumers are allowed to maintain custody of their digital assets in self-hosted wallets, the committee described. Congressman Davidson tweeted on Friday, Last night, U.S. House Committee on Financial Services passed my bill to protect self-custody. <clears throat> Those attacking self-custody oppose individual freedom. They want someone they, they control to control your assets, defend freedom. Keep Your Coins Act of 2023 prohibits federal agencies, quote, from restricting the use of convertible virtual currency by a person to purchase goods or services for the person's own use and for other purposes, according to the text of the bill. In addition, federal agencies may not prohibit, restrict, or otherwise impair a person's ability to, quote, self-custody and digital assets using a self-hosted wallet or other means to conduct transactions for any lawful purpose. The bill adds, many people took to Twitter to thank Congressman Davidson for protecting self-custody. Representative Davidson is America's number one protector of self-custody and a person's fundamental right to individual financial freedom. Uh, lawyer John E. Deaton wrote, the debate on Rep Representative Warren Davidson's self-custody bill was important. He speaks powerfully about foundational questions regarding the relationship of the individual and the state and why public policy shouldn't begin with a presumption of surveillance. We are lucky to have his leadership. Coinbase's chief policy officer, Faryar Shirzad, opined. Beside the Keep Your Coins Act of 2023, the U.S. House Committee on Financial Services also passed three other crypto-related bills this week. They are the Financial Innovation and Technology for the 21st Century Act, the Blockchain Regulatory Certainty Act, and the Clarity for Payment Stablecoins Act. So Congress has been busy, uh, don't really trust politicians, but uh, it's good that there is a conversation about the importance of preserving the right to self-custody your assets. That's a fundamental, uh, you know, uh, right, the right to, you know, um, pri you know, basically pro property rights and, and uh, undermining property rights by, you know, uh, not allowing you to self-custody and forcing you to have to have a custodian to hold your digital assets, Bitcoin in particular, only Bitcoin, uh, is, uh, you know, just basically a violation of uh, fundamental uh, freedom. So good to see the conversation and, uh, you know, we'll wish them luck as this uh, winds its way through the government's uh, legislation process. Of course, it just got out of committee, then it's got to get, you know, 
looked at by the entire house and then, you know, edited and edited. And then even if they pass it, it's got to get passed by the Senate. And that'll be a tougher hurdle for, for all of these bills. So um, I'm not going to get overly excited about this. But again, it's good to see the conversation and um, and, and people um, waking up to the importance of, of self-custody and, and the preservation of it. Uh, so I thought this was interesting. You know, FedNow just went live recently. Uh, they were in a pilot. Now it's live, I think, as of maybe a week ago or something. And everybody's been talking about it. And I found this interesting article off of uh, the Mises Institute. Uh, this was written by David Brady, Jr. Uh, on um, July 24th. And I thought it would be interesting to go over this. Um, as it relates to FedNow. So articles entitled FedNow isn't a CBDC, but it is dangerous. Starting in July, the Federal Reserve will be rolling out a new payment service dubbed FedNow. Uh, among many on the dissident side of politics, there's a growing worry that this new service may be a Trojan horse for a central bank digital currency. The concern is a valid one, as CBDC, depending on how it is implemented, could eliminate the privacy allowed by a cash system, allowing allow the freezing of accounts with greater ease and open the door to social credit scores for individuals. One asks, is the fear of FedNow truly justified or is it a risk for another reason? To analyze whether FedNow is a Trojan horse for a CBDC, one must first understand what a CBDC would be in function. A CBDC as defined by the Federal Reserve itself would be money that is a liability of the central bank. In essence, a CBDC would be a digital dollar with accounts held at the Federal Reserve itself, similar to what the Federal Reserve offers to banks today. Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, has dubbed this a wholesale CBDC and has stated on numerous occasions that such a currency could only be made so by an act of Congress. Legally, Individuals cannot have accounts with the Federal Reserve. Changes to this must be made by Congress, to which Powell has not offered an opinion. Powell is not the only policymaker at the Federal Reserve to express concern or show dismissal toward popular benefits of a CBDC. Federal Reserve Governor Michelle Bowman did as much during a speech to Georgetown University in April 2023. Bowman discussed the listed benefits of a CBDC, including possible, possible speeding up of the financial system and inclusion of more Americans in the banking system. She, however, dismissed all of these. She touted the benefits of FedNow in speeding up interbank transactions, but expressed the fears many hold as to the politicization of a possible CBDC. Powell has also dismissed the CBDC on similar lines, stating to the House Financial Services Committee, we'll have real-time payments in this country very, very soon. This being a reference to CBDCs being proposed as a solution to transaction speeds. On the possible smoothing of the payment system, Bowman touted FedNow as a solution that would make a CBDC unnecessary. On the subject of including more Americans in the banking system, she noted the skepticism that many hold toward banks. She posited that a CBDC would solve that issue in no way, shape, or form. Among key players on the Federal Reserve Board, there is clear opposition to CBDCs. But to address the elephant, FedNow, is FedNow a central bank digital currency Trojan horse? Short answer, no. 
Long answer, FedNow is a new settlement system for member banks of the Federal Reserve System. Historically, accounts have been settled physically by vehicles moving money between banks at the end of business days. Today, it is primarily done by the system known as FedWire. Very similar name, but it is not the same entity. Many Americans use different banks providing money warehousing services, thus resulting in transfers of money between different banks as billions of transactions occur each day. This constant stream of transfers results in, figurative, in a figurative spaghetti monster of assets and liabilities changing hands second after second. No bank can possibly process these transactions all at once. Fedwire accumulates payments between various banks, allowing individual account balances to be managed by banks themselves, and at the end of the business day, processes payments between them in gross amounts. The result is massive end-of-day transfers of money between various financial institutions. This service, however, is only possible during banking hours and not at all on weekends or during bank closures. FedNow, in contrast, settles payments instantaneously between banks and continues to do so even past banking hours. This new system is, to put it plainly, an upgrade over the old settlement system in place at the Federal Reserve. It isn't a CBDC, but it does pose a new risk. The recently failed Silicon Valley banks almost saw 81% of its deposits worth $142 billion withdrawn in two days. What would have taken longer in the era of physical cash was accelerated by online banking. Apps like Cash App, Zelle, and PayPal, and even those of other banks that made the old market mechanism of bank runs far more efficient and deadly for banks. Silicon Valley Bank thus nearly collapsed and was seized by regulators. FedNow, as a system, would worsen this risk. As Austrians have long noted, fractional reserve banking is a confidence game. By issuing more liabilities than assets, a fractional reserve bank relies on the hope of having enough cash on hand if depositors come knocking. The market correction comes in the form of bank runs, where depositors rush to their bank to, and withdraw all their deposits. The bank, being unable to meet all redemption requests, goes insolvent and must liquidate other assets to meet the demands. The gamble of a fractional reserve bank is anticipating the depositor's demand for their physical deposits, so long as it is only a minority of depositors who choose to redeem their claims. The bank may continue to operate. Thus, it is a confidence game. The system works as so long as nobody looks under the table. FedNow heightens the risk of bank failures. While libertarians acknowledge the market at work in bank runs, every bank in the United States operates on a model of fractional reserve banking. Operating alongside online banking, this new system will increase bank runs and systemic bank failures. While this is certainly a market solution, the effects may be catastrophic. Depositors last in line, deceived by the fraud, may lose everything as a result. Businesses placing their funds in an ordinary bank might lose it all. There will be victims of fraud who may not be able to get restitution. So while FedNow is not a CBDC, it does pose a different kind of threat to the economy. Rather than create a risk of government overreach through the Federal Reserve, it opens a massive door to the collapse of the system itself. FedNow, while made to allow better settlement on the market, will be a near-fatal reform to the system that created it. So really interesting take, and uh, I pretty much agree with everything he says here. I think um, it's not a CBDC, but it certainly is dangerous. Uh, and um, uh, this uh, issue of bank runs um, is, you know, it, it will definitely make it worse if, if people can, you know, 
uh, move their money and, and it gets settled instantaneously versus not being able to do it over the weekend or on bank holidays or after four o'clock or whenever the bankers go home. So, okay, next up is, uh, this is an update on Bitcoin mining. This is from Decrypt. Uh, this was posted on July 27th. Articles entitled SAS Mining to open green Bitcoin mining facility in Paraguay. Tap the Itaipu Dam. Sustainable Bitcoin mining platform SAS Mining is expanding into South America with plans to leverage Paraguay's Itaipu Dam, the startup announced Thursday. The firm's facility is expected to come online in September and will contain mining rigs purchased by SAS Mining's customers. The platform enables people to purchase Bitcoin mining rigs, which SAS Mining maintains and powers with 100% renewable energy. The Taipu Dam, which is located on the border of Brazil and Paraguay, was completed in 1991 and stretches nearly five miles long. SAS Mining's founder and CEO, William uh, Zazmasegi, told Decrypt it's an ideal location for cheap hydropower. A lot of the things uh, that we look for or that any good miner looks for, we were able to find out in Paraguay, he said. We're hyper-focused on putting our philosophy out there with wanting to improve humanity's relationship with money and energy. Uh, Mas Gegi described the firm's retail offering as an alternative way to acquire Bitcoin as opposed to tapping an exchange. Participating in the mining process aligns more closely with pseudonymous Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto's vision, he claimed. Miners play an essential role in keeping the Bitcoin network up and running through a process known as proof of work. They race to solve complex cryptographic puzzles and are rewarded with newly minted Bitcoin for verifying transactions. Drawing on the damn surplus energy, uh, Zamos Zegi said, SAS mining can host mining rigs at um, 4.7 cents per kilowatt hour, significantly cheaper than an average cost of 16 cents per kilowatt hour in the U.S. The firm's facility in Paraguay represents an expansion of SAS Mining's footprint. The startup currently has a hydropower facility located in the United States state of Wisconsin, capable of generating 1.7 megawatts. The company's expansion in Paraguay will have an initial capacity of up to 5 megawatts, as Zamos Segi said. For comparison, Bitcoin's network has an annualized consumption of 135 terawatt hours, according to Cambridge University's Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. While Bitcoin's energy consumption and impact on the environment have drawn scrutiny from critics, including lawmakers in the U.S., advocates claim that Bitcoin can provide an alternative store of value for surplus power. SAS Mining President and COO Kent Halliburton said the new facility will do just that, preventing the country's excess power from ever being sold at a loss. Bitcoin mining effectively transforms what was once a loss into a profitable venture for the entire country, Halliburton said, adding, the move is an investment in electrical infrastructure that will continue to serve Paraguay for generations. And last this week, uh, some interesting news. Uh, this is from Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, this was posted on July 27th, uh, titled, The Human Rights Foundation Announces 20 Bitcoin Bounty Challenge for Bitcoin Development. 
In what is perhaps the most articulate and thorough Bitcoin grant offering to date, the Human Rights Foundation has announced a 20 Bitcoin set of bounty challenges in support of open source Bitcoin developers building tools and services that increase the functionality of Bitcoin. These, these selections, inspired by the HRF's research and work with activists across the world, were carefully chosen to perpetuate usability and increase privacy applications within Bitcoin, the Lightning Network, eCash, and Noster. The challenges will run through the end of 2024, with any unclaimed bounties being converted back into the HRF's Bitcoin Development Fund. The bounties themselves have a clear privacy, censorship resistance, and self-sovereignty focus, bringing much-needed attention towards some of the greater problems Bitcoin faces today. The first bounty is a 2-Bitcoin reward to port the Bitcoin UI kit to the open-source PenPot project from its current Figma file format. This kit is a large set of design components for builders to use when developing Bitcoin projects. In its current for format, its use is limited to those operating proprietary software, and the HRF aims to sponsor the replication of the Bitcoin UI kit on PenPot, actualizing free access and self-hosted instances. The second bounty is a 2-Bitcoin reward for a serverless implementation of a PayJoin protocol the bounty specifically uh, calls for a production-ready version to PayJoin protocol, which may send and receive PayJoin transactions without requiring a sender or recipient to operate a public server. The serverless PayJoin bounty asks for use of BIP21 unified Bitcoin URIs and to remain independent from a trusted third party, hence serverless, which could expose user privacy in a non-trivial way. The third bounty is another 2-Bitcoin reward for the creation of a Nostra client implementation of end-to-end -end encrypted group chats, which is incapable of leaking metadata to potentially malicious third parties. In order to be eligible, the group chat must enable three or more users to communicate with no ability for outside adversaries to gather the content of the messages, nor the identity or frequency of the user's messaging. The fourth bounty is a 2-Bitcoin reward for a mobile Bitcoin wallet capable of receiving and sending silent payments without the use of a client-side full node. The wallet must be open-source and multi-platform with a back-end that is interoperable with other mobile wallets. The bounty asks for compliance with the silent payments BIP, written by Ruben Somson and Josie Bake. The fifth bounty, a 2-Bitcoin reward for human-readable offers, calls for a Bolt 12 offer generator to be integrated to a mobile wallet. Ideally, a Bolt 12 offer could be communicated from a phone screen to a human without the use of copy and paste or a QR code scan, similar to how Bitcoin or Lightning address is displayed. The sixth bounty is a 2-Bitcoin reward for a Lightning address generator within a mobile wallet that is self-custodial and accessible with just a smartphone. This implementation should not require the user to set up their own web server. The seventh bounty is a 2-Bitcoin reward for a mobile integration of border wallet functionality into a current Bitcoin wallet. The idea of a border wallet is to allow users to generate and practice memorizing their seed phrase for moments of cross-jurisdictional movement. The eighth bounty, a 2-Bitcoin reward for easy multi-sig functionality, is aiming to bring coordinated two of three multi-signature usability and generation within a mobile wallet at the tap of a button. The bounty also mentions the mobile wallet must remain self-custodial, complete with an open source method to recover funds beyond the multi-sig application itself. 
The ninth bounty is a two Bitcoin reward for a self-custodial wallet implementation powered by Frost or flexible round optimal Schnorr threshold signatures. This dynamic multi-sig protocol must allow for modification of the signer set without transferring the funds to a different address. The 10th and final bounty is a 2 Bitcoin reward for the eCash protocol Cashew. This bounty, unlike the others, is split up into four 0.5 Bitcoin bounties with specific requirements for further applications that, of this open source Xiaomi and eCash system. Bounty A calls for an iOS Cashew app, while Bounty B calls for an Android Cashew app, both requiring a fully functioning open source wallet with the capability to support multiple mints, use seed phrase backups for fund recovery, as well as send and receive eCash over Noster. Bounty C aims to bring, this, uh, bring to life an open source Cashew web widget capable of enabling anonymous payments for paywalled content, capable of interacting with the user's Bitcoin address, the final bounty, Bounty D, is a half Bitcoin reward for actualizing Cashew TS Backup Restore, Cashew TS being a popular Cashew wallet library for application development. Users must be able to restore balances across various implementations of Cashew in order to provide security of users via seed phrase backup scheme akin to how most users backup their Bitcoin wallet. The HRF stated that this is an initial set of 10 Bitcoin challenges and more bounties may be added as time goes on. The team or individual developer who fully solves any of the Bitcoin bounty challenges will be eligible to receive the two Bitcoin bounty. All eligible submissions will be discussed among external industry experts in order to select the submission best meeting the requirements of the challenge. Individuals and parties interested in participating are asked to contact bounty at hrf.org with any question and more details about the bounties can be found here and they include a link in the article. And uh, while this is pretty intense technical discussion, I think the bottom line is that uh, the Human Rights Foundation is trying to push for easier, easier use uh, and, uh, and, and solving a lot of um, problems that, that that exist uh, currently with um, uh, some of these tools, in particular Lightning, uh, eCash, and Noster. Uh, and again, to make it easier for uh, for individuals to use while still um, preserving privacy and um, anonymity, and um, and obviously, you know, safety of uh, individuals' funds. So, pretty pretty big news. Exciting to hear about this. And uh, we wish them all the luck. And finally, I just want to mention this week's Substack. It's entitled Embracing Bitcoin and the Second Amendment, Safeguarding Freedom and Liberty in a Changing World. The best offense is a strong defense. So uh, check that out. I'll include a link in the show notes. And with that... Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I am on Fountain, and so if you listen on Fountain, you can earn sats. Just the other day, I was earning 100 sats a minute, 6,000 sats. So listen on Fountain. Uh, you can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And uh, I'm still on Twitter or X or whatever the heck they call it. My, um, uh, I'm at, at Nick Reichert. Uh, and again, I'm on Substack. Also on Noster. My, my Noster um, 
PubKey is, is on my Twitter profile if you want to follow me there. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>